And we are your hosts for today's broadcast, following top news stories of the day. Good, great, grand, wonderful. I have a bad feeling about this. What ain't no country I ever heard of? They speak English and what? It's the good, the bad, and the what? Lost your train of thought, didn't I? <laughs> Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Good, The Bad, and The What, the show in which we dissect what makes a movie good, bad, or other within a certain theme, category, subgenre, or filmography. I'm Ryan Oliver. And I'm Chris Thomas. Chris, how are you doing this evening? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. I'm looking forward to diving in today. Hopefully, um, our last episode was a lot of fun, but it was really long. We understand, and uh, hopefully we'll keep it a little short today. Uh, <laughs> since we're going to be talking about five movies, but really one in particular. We teased it at the end of the last episode. We're going to be discussing the new Scream, uh, yeah. just called Scream. Uh parentheses 2022 the same exact name and and um i mean we will dive into a non-spoiler and spoiler section as we do with these new movies but i'd say there's a very good within the world reasoning why it's just called scream um and not five cream (laughs) like Uh, people wanted it to be i'm Um, really glad that they didn't yeah off of that (laughs) exactly so uh we're gonna dive into here um of course this is the the fifth entry in the long-standing series uh it is directed by hopefully i'm pronouncing the first director's name correctly uh matt benelli open and tyler gillett uh they often go by the nomenclature radio silence uh they directed ready or not from a couple years ago um and they're taking the helm on this from the late wes craven uh, r.i.p and um if you want to hear us talk more in depth i mean we'll be discussing the first one here and there within this discussion but we did already talk about the first scream in a full episode it was episode three go ahead and give that a listen but we will dive in here um we rewatched all of the sequels leading up to this one in addition to this one so um chris i will pass the ball to you sort of you know like i said we touched on the first one in an episode but like what is your sort of relationship with two through four like when did you see them did you see them when they came out did you come to them later um and then ultimately how did you feel about the new one and how did your feelings about the sequel sort of maybe enforce those feelings i'm just i'm curious sure i mean that i think that's long for an intro we'll probably have to to get into that like over the course of the whole episode for sure I, I, in terms of the 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 sequels themselves i mean uh, I didn't really have access to the movies when I was a kid when they first came out in the 90s. So I, I didn't get to watch them until probably later on in high school and when it was like I was able to rent it and stay over at a friend's house and watch them. Um, but I've always greatly enjoyed the first one. Uh, the rest of the sequels, not so much. I, I, I do want to preface by saying I don't dislike any of the Scream movies. I think all of the Scream movies in one way or another are, are good. Um but we're just just comparatively over the course of it. I mean, obviously, I like the first one better than you know the rest of them, and it, it's sort of that thing where like a bad screen movie is better than ninety nine percent of the other garbage movies you're going to find in the same genre. So, I I mean, I watched them over the course of time. Never had like a huge reverence for the series or anything. I've always just found myself going back to the first one. Um, this recent rewatch of the two, three, and four 
were probably the second time I've seen each of them uh, in in my life. I, I never had a need or want to really revisit them. Uh, but then just first impressions on five. Five is the best one since the first. So, yeah, absolutely. And I think like obviously we'll have to wait until spoilers to kind of get into why. But I like what mm-hmm. you said there because I'm in the same boat of like the first one is the one I often return to with the one I've seen the most. Mm-hmm. And it's still the best one for my money. And so I, I think that this one, this new one, again, without towing the line here, definitely adheres the closest to the first one, as a lot of these legacy sequels tend to do, which, yep. again, we'll get into it in, in greater length, but uh, almost purposeful. But yet it yet it works. Um, and so, I, I yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll say my sort of history. I think mine was probably even later than yours like i had watched the first scream like when i was mm. in like middle school high school somewhere in that region um i did not watch the sequels until i think april 16th 2011 uh when the day that scream 4 opened in theaters uh, wow. we were we were in college i think you and i weren't like close yet but we were acquaintances uh but i had gone i had never seen them so i watched one two and three in the this in one day uh, and then I went to our theater in Ellensburg, Washington to go watch Scream 4. So on that day, 2, 3, and 4, that was the first time I watched any of them. Jeez. Um, and I sort of feel similarly. Um, I don't love the sequels, I think, because of the sort of way they play with horror tropes. You know, they continue that through... That through line continues from the first one, where it's like the sequel is very much commenting on sequels, and mm-hmm. then third one with trilogies, and then the fourth one is sort of commenting on like, um, so 2011 would have been more like the horror remake craze, you know, we had yeah. like the remakes of Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and Friday the 13th, and uh, Hills Have Eyes, and I mean, you name it, I think, uh, uh, Hayden Panthier's character. And it's also porn, they even like make a reference to movies like Saw and stuff, and it's they very... Do bloody very nihilistic and it's very much in that like it's it's very it's like i didn't love scream 4 on the rewatch in fact i I wouldn't even say i really liked scream 4 on the rewatch but (laughs) but um and we'll dive into probably more as we go along but like i did i kind of at least appreciated it as a time capsule where it's like oh yeah Mm -hmm. these were the horror movies that were coming out it's like you have the torture porn sort of uh saw hostile and then you had the like platinum dune uh remakes coming out um Mm -hmm. and so um, but yeah, that brings us to Scream 5 and, um, or Scream, uh, just called Scream again. Yep. And, uh, I'm in the same boat. I think it's the best one since the first one. And, and it's a little bit, um, and, and we'll swing into spoilers here shortly. I, I, it was a weird thing to sort of come to realize when the movie ended where like, um, you know, I wish, I wish Wes Craven was still alive and was still making movies. He was one of my favorite filmmakers. Nightmare on Elm Street was my introduction to the horror film. It's why I love horror movies. Mm-hmm. So, like, huge R.I.P. There, there's a lot of loving reverence towards him in the movie, which I really, really liked. But even if that wish were true, that he was still alive making movies, it's weird to say I don't think this movie could have been made under him. Just the way the sort of mechanics work, the way it's about this sort of, like, regurgitating you know the, the like again these legacy characters and these mm-hmm. legacy sequels and they're like adhering to the first one you know there's a lot of like you know like the force awakens it's probably yep. like the biggest example or even like creed they reference in the movie they do reference in the movie yeah mm-hmm. uh creed would probably be another example where like um you know it's different but structurally it's the first rocky like mm-hmm. it's it's that's what they what these movies do and so this movie sort of structurally trying to mirror the first one and then also being made by 
by people who clearly love the series. They clearly know the series, um, but aren't Wes Craven. Mm-hmm. I think like that's the only way this movie could have been done and work. I think even if Wes was still alive. Right. Um, but I think the movie's good. I I was actually concerned going into it because I I really liked Ready or Not. I think you did as well. Yeah, um, that's great. But my least favorite parts of Ready or Not when it tries to be sort of like almost too clever or too almost like proud of how too cool for school proud. some of its dialogue is. Yeah, proud. Oh god, <laughs> we got to get away from Freddy Got Fingered. It's haunting us like like it haunts me. I, I see it I see it every time I close my eyes before I go to sleep. But um, anyway. Um, it, like, like I feel like that movie does get tripped up when it gets it, like tries to be sort of like a one percent kind of takedown. I don't think that stuff's as, sure. as successful as like the genre elements. Oh, like a social commentary elements. Uh, yeah, it's okay. like it's there, but I don't think it's like it's like the thrill ride works more than the commentary. And so Agreed. doing yeah the new Scream, I was like, oh man, well Scream adheres like you need that like commentary. That's part mm-hmm. of what Scream is. So I was a little nervous, but I, I think they pull it off like really well and really seamlessly. Oh, yeah. Um well, I, I was, think to oh, your point, I was gonna I was gonna piggyback off that point. I, I agree with you in that I think that they nailed that element and to me they flip flopped to the opposite direction where, you know, ready or not, the the sort of horror elements and, and like those tropes and stuff work really well. And the, the commentary doesn't. And in Scream, I think the commentary works really well. And for me, the horror didn't land. Or the, the attempts at horror didn't land. I think it, they were they played it a bit too tongue-in-cheek to... There wasn't really a point in the movie where I was actually, like, scared or, or, or really nervous. I felt like I saw things coming, like, a mile away. And I, that, that, I think it just structurally, the way that they approached it, 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 it... I wouldn't say that it was done poorly. I would say that it wasn't done with horror in mind or, or uh, an attempt to scare the audience. I think that's fair. And I think that, um, you know, and it, it's tough, right? I mean, because like I've said it until I'm blue in the face and we'll probably touch into more about why this is, you know, in the sequels, even including this one as we go along of how, like why the first one is so good is like, it's the commentary. Yes. It's really strong, but actually works as a horror movie as Mm -hmm. well like an actual refreshing slasher movie and so i think the sequels even this one as good as it is falls into that trap of like you know even though you're commentating on the things the things are still happening in the way that these movies happen as you make five six seven like as you get further down the slasher movie like realm it's like there's only so much you could do and so it's like scream almost has to find a way to go further down the rabbit hole because it has because that's its hook is the commentary as far as exactly because as far as the slasher elements i would say all of them like are are sort of diminishing returns because you know it's like you know that there's going to be kills in this vein you know that it's going to be a whodunit and Mm -hmm. like um and you know you have an inkling of how the whodunit's going to go uh go which I think maybe that's a good spot to swing into spoilers because sure. I think five does things that were there. There was enough misdirects in five where it kept the the mystery fresh, whereas I feel like it does get stale in maybe not necessarily two, but definitely in three and four. Yes. Um, so I think I think something gets picked up here that's really interesting. Um, but I think we're gonna swing into spoilers, and uh, but I think on like a high level For the whole deal, series. Yeah, we're we're gonna be touching on everything. Everything's everything's, everything's on, on the, the table. table. But but 
before we swing into it, I think it's safe to say we both recommend this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's worth watching. It's out in theaters currently. It's top the box office, I think, two weekends in a row. Um, and it's a Paramount movie, so I'm pretty sure 45 days from its theatrical release, it'll be on Paramount+. Plus. So yep. um, if you don't want to go to a theater, it's going to be out very soon. But spoilers for Scream 2022, starting mm-hmm. right now. Um, and I know I've spoken too long. I almost don't want to take more of the no, oxygen. Go. But I think for me, like, it, it's so weird because I did a lot of thinking about this. Cause, and it's been a week since I've seen this mm-hmm. movie. But the, the, the literally one, there's one choice. It almost boils down to one choice in the mystery that this movie makes that keeps it fresh and interesting and that single choice is that uh, uh, Tara Carpenter, Jenna Ortega's character, is the one who opens the movie. She's the Drew Barrymore, essentially, where mm-hmm. she gets the phone call. And and, and uh, Roger Jackson is the voice, like, what's your favorite scary movie? And, yeah. you, know, it's, you know, it's now 2022. It's in the trailer, too. It is in the trailer. And it's 2022, so, like, you know, again, like, like Scream 4 was almost like a time capsule of, like, the gore porn. Uh, mm-hmm. She says her favorite horror movies, The Babadook. Like, mm-hmm. it's elevated horror. Elevated it's, horror. The, the phrase we don't like, but it's yeah. a hot button one, so it's 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 brought into the fray. Um, but, but the simple choice of her being maimed but not killed... Mm-hmm completely opens the mystery up like it almost it almost boils down to that one decision because it gets so stale in two three and four because you know it's like that trap of like how slashers become like they like even though scream is pointing out its tropes it's still succumbing to the tropes in and of itself yeah every killer from the sequels have to be related to sydney in some way like Mm -hmm. whether well not even if it's not blood related even though two of them are um, related in some tangential way, right? right? Where it's like one of the killers of two is Billy Loomis's mother wanting mm-hmm. revenge, and three, it's her like bastard half brother, which it's, yeah, it's so bad. And then and then her co- and then her cousin in four, which honestly is the best part of four. Credit mm-hmm. where credits due, but still, it's like it all has to be related to Sydney, mm-hmm. and so the fact that this movie sort of really does treat the legacy characters which they talk about in point blank dialogue uh you know commentating on itself really are supporting characters which was mm-hmm. refreshing like it was really refreshing that courtney cox and david arquette and Nave campbell were true supporting characters oh, in yeah. this cast of other characters yeah and i i think uh i, I think I, I saw you write something about how that was a major issue with four and it was a major issue with four with me as well. Is that there's just there's a million fucking characters in Scream Four, and yes. they're all the same archetypes as the characters from the first Scream. So it, it was sort of like a a dry run reboot sequel where they're like, okay, we'll, we'll recast all the characters that are familiar uh, with the archetypes from the first movie, and we'll redo those plot points. But in tandem, we'll have an entire separate story where the legacy characters are also like the star of their own story, and we'll tell mm-hmm. them in tandem to the point where, it, it, for me, it, it was just a high wire act that didn't come together. I, I didn't feel anything for any of the new characters. The, the old characters were relying on relationships that you have with them from the other movies, but they don't do or really learn anything new in, in the new movie. So, yes. like, it, it didn't feel like it it didn't feel like an actual story so much as it was just a backdrop for 
a killer to go around and very horrifically slash people, which, mm-hmm. you know, in terms of, like, the horror and some of the stuff that's happening on the screen in the fourth one, it's very mean-spirited. Um, yes, I, I nasty. Could, I could kind of feel like Wes didn't want to make the movie, like or, or like he was he was kind of sick of it. Um, there, there feels to be almost a sort of um, spite for the audience or spite for people that watch these kind of movies and they're being victimized because of it in the fourth movie rather than being able to survive because of this knowledge. Now they are blatantly being ripped into shreds because they are the type of people who are rooting for these things to happen in movies. Yes. So I found that interesting, which made me care about the fourth one a bit more than I probably would if it was some other normal movie. Totally. Um, and I think that's, you know, and I, I, I think you're referring to, I mean, it's just my letterbox page is nothing crazy, but I did, I wrote that this one is basically a do over a more mm-hmm. successful do over than four. And I, I, yes. I stand by that because I, I agree from the standpoint of in four where it's like the whole aim of four is the like remake culture. So mm-hmm. it's like bec- they deliberately cast, you know, the characters to be the same archetype. But like you said, it doesn't work as well because the legacy characters also share the time. Mm-hmm. So that doesn't come together well. And what this movie also does that I, I appreciate what four did. But it also frustrated me because, like two and three, four is uh, shot by Peter Deming, the great Peter mm-hmm. Deming, who also has worked with David Lynch on Mulholland Drive and Lost Highway and Twin Peaks: The Return. Um, great DP, great cinematographer, and four tries to mimic the visual style of those like Platinum Dunes remakes. Everything mm-hmm. is bathed in sepia tone. It is the the darks are so dark, so like you dark. can't <laughs> see anything, and so mm-hmm. it's like, and I think that also goes with the mean spiritedness, right? Because I feel like to to me, I guess there are many reasons, but the reasons I don't like the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake, and I'm I'm like okay with the Friday the Thirteenth one, but like it's also like kind of mean spirited and grody. Oh yeah. Um. So I feel like four was was towing that line of like these were the horror movies at the time sort of thing mm-hmm. so it's like i get it but i feel like this one did a much better job of sort of like trying to adhere to like what's contemporary at the time so it's like mm-hmm. there are more like long takes that you would see in something like the witch or the Duke or something like mm-hmm. that but it still felt like a scream movie and it still actually looked good whereas like scream 4 kind of looks like shit yes and 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 i hate that intention of being like well they intended it that way but it's like it still looks like shit even if you intended it that that way it still sucks (laughs) so yeah well and there's still also like visual themes and stuff that appear in this one that harken back to the originals which are harking back to older movies themselves um, the there's the scene where uh, uh, Dylan Minnette, uh, who's playing Wes Hicks, uh, mm-hmm. uh, wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Um, the he uh, gets into the shower uh, in one point, and they show the the psycho shot of the straight on of the shower head as the water starts falling down. Where they did that shot in Scream Two as well. Um, mm-hmm. So like they're still bringing back this iconography, which are I I, I appreciated in. Scream 5, I mean, it's something that I appreciate about the series as a whole, but not so much when they're doing things like Wes Hicks or Sam Carpenter is another character in the movie, where, like, it, it's very on, on the nose of, like, hey, you know these people, don't you? But I visual cues and visual references and, and, and callbacks I really appreciate. Yes. Playing with these tropes and then using them to mess with the mind of the audience. And I, I, a very effective scene... 
um, to a point in the fifth movie for me was when Dylan Minnette, after his mom, uh, who's Judy Hicks, who was uh, Marley Shelton, who was in uh, Scream 4. I don't. She, think was, she was the deputy in Scream 4, and in this one... She wasn't in any other ones, though, right? No, she was a deputy in Scream 4. Yeah, okay. yeah. She's only in 4 and this one, and, and in this one, I mean, we'll get into it, but Dewey is now retired. Yeah. Uh, for, forcefully retired. Um, yeah. And now uh, she's the the sheriff uh, right. of Westboro. Yeah. Um, so her son in this movie, uh, uh, played by Dylan Minnette, uh, he's like at home and he's showering and he's getting stuff ready for dinner as she goes to like pick up sushi and, and bring it back home. And we're doing the thing that they do in horror movies where like it's a long one shot following him from room to room as the audience you're looking around corners you're you're listening for any creaky board or a door ajar sound that happens in the background and there's points in it where he goes into the pantry he opens the door which covers a doorway the camera pushes in and we as an audience are like he's going to close it ghost faces there and then the fight ensues and then he closes it and he's not there and there's even a music sting there's even a yep. and the, but there's nothing there and he does it again when he goes to the fridge same shot opens the door camera punches in music sting nothing there and i i liked it to a point where i was just like that's clever because as an audience who watches a lot of horror movies you are ta- like you are conditioned to the point where like something has to be there so then when it's not immediately it's like okay he could be anywhere then He's not in the spot yep. where I expected him to be. He could be under the counter. He could be up on the ceiling. Who fucking knows? It ultimately disappointed me, though, when they did these fake-out, fake-out, fake-outs. And uh, the door, like the front door of the house opens. I don't want to get into full spoilers as to who's dead and what not. But the front door of the house is ajar. He goes and he just shuts it. And then when he turns around, Ghostface is there and he stabs him in the throat and kills him. And right. it's it's really brutal, um, mm-hmm. and it's like a good shot and whatnot. But it frustrated me to the point where it's just like you you took the thing that we know is not clever, or it's not clever anymore because it's been done to death. But then you didn't replace it with anything equally clever or or anything really that surprising. He's just hi, I'm here, and then he like stabbed him and killed him, and then the scene was over. So I think when I talked about earlier how the horror didn't exactly work for me, it's because it, it amounted to that. It amounted to, well, yeah, people are going to get stabbed and die with knives because this is a movie where people get stabbed and they die with knives. But at right. least in the first one, um, and even in some of the sequels, they would do things to throw you a curveball to try and catch you off guard. And I didn't feel any kill in this movie really got me to a point where like, oh, shit, I didn't see that coming. I would agree with that because I don't, I don't think there are any real like st- – standout moments in this one in that regard for Mm -hmm. sure because i think even like you know scream 2 you know it has the the cold open it's like 15 Mm -hmm. minutes long at the premiere of the first stab um which is arguably arguably one of the best horror openings of all time it's so good it's so fantastic because it's like it sets the stage of like you're in a audience of horror crazed people everyone's Mm -hmm. wearing the ghost face masks so it's like really anybody could be that person among them and Mm -hmm. like it's it's so well crafted so well done the recording booth scene is also really good in scream 2 as well um Scream 4 also has the, like, sort of terrific, like, double fake-out opening where it's, like, the beginning oh, yeah. of, like, Stab 5 and 6. Yeah. And so, like, uh, so you're a little caught off guard where you're like, wait, am I actually watching the thing that I'm watching mm-hmm. or am I going to get faked out again sort of thing? And so um, it has, like, 
so there's I don't think there's anything level to that level in five, which is a disappointment. But I do think what works the most in five is that I think like we talked about where like I think the mystery is genuinely engaging. And I mm-hmm. almost wanted to get back to that for a second of like the character who lives because then yes. then it really sets the table of like because we're introduced to these characters and now all of a sudden for the first time since the first one you have a complete group of characters who actually all have a true motive mm-hmm. to be the person to do it. Yeah. And so it actually really makes it interesting because we have our, our main character um, who's Sam Carpenter, who you already mentioned, Melissa uh, Barrera, uh, who's great. She was great in, in the Heights last year. Didn't mm-hmm. make my top 10, but it was in my like top 25. Um, I thought she was great here. She's uh, Tara's sister, the girl who gets stabbed at the beginning, um, who we then, then discover is the, the, the bastard child of Billy Loomis. Um, <laughs> they because they have to be. They have to. Well, I mean, I, and I think it. When they bring it up in the movie, why? Like, yeah, they, they bring it. It's the movie. It's so, it's Scream. It's Everything the legacy so characters. Like, you, yeah. yeah, exactly. Because they have the, they, they do that thing. And it's one of those where it's like in any other movie, in any other sort of, because like Star Wars, the new trilogy gets this way where it's everybody's mm-hmm. related to somebody and you're like, okay, that's tired. Yeah. And this movie makes fun of that, but it's a screen movie, so it also has to like work in universe. So it's like right. you have Sam, who's Billy Loomis's uh, like bastard daughter. Uh, you have uh, Mindy Meeks Martin and Chad Meeks Martin, who are uh, the niece and nephew mm-hmm. of Randy, uh, Jamie Kennedy's character from mm-hmm. well, I guess one, two, and three. Uh, and I forget. Um, God, I, it's not the first thing. To- uh, uh, Heather Mazzaro, hopefully I'm pronouncing her name correctly, because she appears in three briefly mm-hmm. uh, to bring Sydney and company a tape of Randy saying, like, here are the rules of trilogies. Mm-hmm. Um, she's only in it for a second, but she's here uh, as their their mother. Yeah. Um, so it's like they're related. Somebody gets killed in a bar who's related to Stu. Um, That's right. Yeah. Yeah. They mentioned offhand that he's related to, to Stu. And so it's like everybody is related to somebody from the original uh again in like logic in there but then it's like everybody has a sort of like whether it's their relation to somebody from the original jesus that's not a word original (laughs) or like wes hicks the character who who does die but it's like noted that uh he's like a uh like on and off like love interest to Tara and they're like mm-hmm. on the rocks and he's like pretty apprehensive and standoffish anytime that he's in a discussion um yep. so it's like for for the first time I think since one it's everyone has a motive it, it, I like this much better than what they tried to do in like three where people were dying and then they were like they were like on a big whiteboard they were like wait a minute their their legal name is Casey well, wasn't that the actual name of the second victim? And they're like, people's were get, getting killed, but their names were kind of sort of related to the names of the people who died in the original. I mean, like, even though this one is doing that legacy sequel, oh, you were my uh, uh, half cousin's best friend's roommate, that shoddy connection between characters here felt much more natural and smarter than what they were trying to do in Scream 3 where they were just like I don't I don't know yeah 3 was 3 was pretty much like a a, a we've run out of ideas sort Mm -hmm. of thing and it's like it's no disrespect because I feel like they even made fun of that because like 3 
is on like a like a dimension back lot, mm-hmm. you know, like they're making stab three within the movie, and a year later, uh, Chainsaw the Bob Strikes Back comes out where they're on like the Miramax <laughs> oh, God, back yeah. lot, and they're like filming a screen movie in that, and it's the monkey, uh, mm-hmm. uh, uh Suzanne, uh, or is that the monkey's name I, from All Rats? And I don't remember, but anyway, like. Uh, it's like Shannon Doherty and and the monkey, and then she's like cut, and then Wes Craven comes in, and she's like, "A monkey, Wes? Like, are you guys even trying anymore?" <laughs> so it's like they were making fun of Scream Three in a way of like, yeah, uh, yeah, fuck it, uh, just <laughs> whatever. <laughs> um, Scream Three sidebar: Scream Three is almost saved head and shoulders on the back of Parker Posey yeah. as the actress playing Gail Weathers. Like, she's great. like she's she's so good like save save saves that movie um but yes this one establishes that everybody has motive and it really gives like we said like the legacy legacy characters are secondary like mm-hmm. these new characters are solving the mystery like they they enlist the help of of dewey mm-hmm. uh who's like forced retired from the sheriff's department gail left him like they we find out they went to new york together because she wanted to go back into to news mm-hmm. um it didn't work out. He came back home, and so he's like drunk and sad. Uh, which again, which is... that also makes more sense for these characters than where they were in Scream Four, where they were like still married and been together yes. for ten years, and like that didn't. And like they spent the majority of four of them like having a, like a couple's fight of being like her being like, why can't I be involved in this murder investigation? It was just right. like. A fucking course you can't be involved. Like what? <laughs> yeah, hold up yeah. in court if like yeah, my wife found this evidence. Let yeah, me it's just... like yes, you did write the book on this, Gail. But like you were <laughs> still a law just enforcement an, officer, an ex journalist. Like <laughs> so, like, of course I can't. And then she's like working with high schoolers and shit to try and like and like undermine him. Like the whole thing that was going on in four was super weird. And then seeing them here and then being like, Oh yeah, you know, we split up because Gail wanted to be in the spotlight and Dewey's not that kind of person. It was just like, yeah, of course they did. That's exactly where these characters would be. That's their dynamic. It always yeah. has been from the start. And so it just like, it makes the most sense. So oh, like, yeah. yeah, they, they all like, they all have logical conclusions of like, Dewey is like, and, and it's even that way in like three sort of like where he comes in, like does the security, but it's like, he's sort of like, he's always like painted as that like Woodsboro is where he belongs. So it's like, of course he was there. And that's not where Gail belongs. And Sydney's like, I hate this place. I'm getting way the fuck out of here. Mm-hmm. Um, and she does that here too. And so it's just like, it, yeah, it all draws them back, but the characters are in such logical spots. Um, and I feel like even like the, the way I feel like it, it's funny. Cause it's like, and it just goes to the brilliance of the movie. Like, I feel like they do the things that the other ones would have done, and they're doing it in that sort of, like, we're mocking a Lega sequel, but it's actually in a way that's effective. Like, I thought of, because there's the scene where, like, they uh, Dewey and Gale first sort of, like, reconnect after the uh, Wes Hicks is, is killed, like, right outside. And their sort of theme plays underneath it. Which reminded me exactly of the the Princess Leia Han Solo exchange in The Force Awakens, where like their theme from Empire Strikes Back plays. But it's so like in that movie, it's so like corny, yeah. And it's just kind of like eh, okay. And then like here, it's like I know they're making fun of that, but it's also affecting at the same yeah. time. So it's like it's brilliant. Well, and, <laughs> on the recent rewatch, I I remember the theme in Scream Two like vividly i remember like exactly where it is in scream 2 i don't remember it in 3 or 4 
They don't play it in 4. So 4, I think 4 going with the sort of remake, again, I don't think 4 does it well because for the reasons we stated, it doesn't know where to share the spotlight with the characters, Mm -hmm. but it doesn't have their theme in 4. 4 also, I think it's integrated into the score for a second, Mm. but 4 also doesn't have um, Red Right Hand by Nick Cave in the bad scenes. Yeah, yeah. Which I liked the use of it in this one. Making me too. it diegetic was, was it's so good. Yeah. So when good. when yeah. it's it's a uh, Kyle Gallner who's the 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 guy who's tangentially related to yeah. Stu. Who's His just car like some gets... dirt bag that they Yeah. Well they I, I I love that they they start introducing like this cast of characters. They they cast doubt on all of them immediately. Then mm-hmm. in in a scene that mimics the first one where I, I mean all of the characters are gathered at the fountain and very uh, nonchalantly being like, "Where were you last night?" Uh, like, yep. uh, like, oh, isn't wasn't she your ex girlfriend? Uh, and and like, casting sort of uh, uh, like th- these accusations at one another. And then this scene starts, and they are immediately being like, "Well, you would have a reason to kill her because." And I I love that that sort of the the way that they're mimicking that scene in the first one. Um, whereas in the the second one and third one made it much more gumshoe. Where there's nothing really forthcoming, the characters are on their toes and very guarded, right. and uh, they're they're taking it very seriously because they've lived through it and they, they're you know trauma. Uh, whereas these characters are teenagers, they, yeah. they don't fucking know and they don't care. They, they they this they're not taking it as seriously as they should, and they're treating it much like the characters in the first one. And so yeah, it made me relate to them much quicker and and much easier. Absolutely, and they they I also feel like and it could be. Um, because even though it's like i mean respect right i love the first scream like it's so sharply written i gotta give credit where credit's due but i know i've talked about the show many times before that like kevin williamson's style of writing sometimes can really grate on me like it goes it gets too far or it gets too into like the meta and so i feel like what i like about this one in addition to it being meta it has to be right it's a scream movie Mm -hmm. and like i don't know teens today you know it's like i'm pretty far removed from that but it's like these characters feel like they talk like actual like teenagers too Mm -hmm. like right they're not like talking in like hyper stylized like kevin williamson sort of like it's a mouthpiece to spout the sort of like meta commentary right it's like it's there but like these characters kind of operate like actual teenagers like it feels authentic which again hasn't felt that way since the first one where Mm -hmm. they were teenagers and they felt authentic like they felt like 90 1996 teenagers circa 1996 like it felt right and it feels that way in this movie as well yeah absolutely and i i think i want to get more into sort of the the meat and potatoes of of the show since i mean we haven't really mentioned several of the the characters and their relationships to one another I and mean, we still haven't right. gotten to jack quaid um, i was gonna say well i mean i guess we're in spoilers we don't have to put we haven't even talked about either who ends up being the killers of exactly the movie, yeah uh which we should get into and i uh, but lastly before we get into that i think i'm i'm glad they didn't because I, I think even in this sort of poking fun at legacy equals way, it would have been really freaking stupid if it was if this was the case. But the movie also hangs a potential other option for the killer with certain directions. Mm-hmm. I thought Stu was going to come back in some capacity, right? I mean, yeah. they're talking about the legacy characters. You have the three who are still alive. We didn't even mention that, that Sam sees the ghost of her dead dad. Uh, uh, some which, angels in the outfield shit. Yeah. Ghost dad coming in. <laughs> it's, 
so that was that was that was weird it was super weird because but they like it's one of those it's like i don't know if i forgive it but i get it like i get because they're again they're poking fun at that idea so they're like well we gotta get skeet ulrich back in here somehow so and so but like the, the you know with with somebody you know Stu's mentioned quite often in the movie and so like Stu's mentioned quite often the the finale which you know mm-hmm. again not to put the cart before the horse but we're in spoilers is at the house from the first one which, which is, is Stu's dope. house yeah and Stu's often referred to like whenever through the series whenever there's like you know they're talking about the stab movies or like the true crime sort of documentary about it it's like it's always Billy who's credited at the mastermind Stu's kind of like the was like the the uh accomplice mm-hmm. or is hardly mentioned right so i could have seen a situation where like they somehow brought him back to like kind of reclaim his sort of like like it would have been feasible in the world they were setting up right it would have yeah. been stupid but it would have been <laughs> possible and so it's like that movie that added another layer of like mystery and tension to it where I was like, mm-hmm. oh God, they're going to, they're going to get Matthew Lillard back in here somehow. I mean, I would have just been happy to see Matthew Lillard again because I, I mean, I, I fucking love the guy. I um, do too. I mean, it would have been nice to see him even though it would have been a stupid twist, but, but, but the twist gets more clever than we thought because I, you know, I mentioned two through four gets stale because everybody's related to Sydney. That is not the case in this movie. Um, it's it's two people who met on a Reddit board who are pissed off about Stab 8, which they say in strict dialogue, oh, the one directed by the Knives Out guy. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. What eighth entry of a popular franchise could you possibly be talking about here? <laughs> I don't know. Toxic uh, no, I, fandom is the real killer. Toxic uh, fandom is the killer. Of the leave movies. it to Reddit to... Uh, uh, <laughs> it would have been 4chan if they did this in screen four i'm pretty sure no nobody on 4chan has friends that they would be able to team up with and that's true reddit's reddit's a little bit more like the diet coke version of it so it's a little bit more palatable for sure but yeah so that's that's the other clever thing too because you have jack quaid who Mm -hmm. i i like jack quaid um i I like him a lot i think he did great in this too He's in a rom-com called Plus One from a couple uh, years ago. Um, it's really, really good. Like, really refreshing for, like, a romantic comedy. Like, I highly recommend checking that out. But he's the boyfriend of Sam. And so the whole, like, thing in the movie, it's like he knows horror movies, but he's, like, you know, he plays, like, he's not familiar with the Stab mm. movies. And so it's like he's watching them as they go along, and he's watching YouTube videos of, like, we deserve a redo of Stab A. <laughs> Which, uh, shout out, that's uh, James A. Janice and his uh, wife, Chelsea, uh, from the the Dead Meat show. Uh, They have a podcast and they have a show on YouTube, and I I subscribe to them. I I love Dead Meat. So it was awesome to be like, oh shit, like, I fucking know that guy. So these filmmakers are like actually tapped into real life, like, you know, stuff like that. Yeah, exactly. So that's great. And they're not like that toxic fandom. Like they make fun of that shit on their channel. So it was great to see them play those people with like the big words flying at the screen and being like, what didn't they call it? Stab eight and make the B an eight. It was like right out there. Like they like, which is funny because people were pissed about that with scream five. Like I mentioned in the start, they wanted it to be like where the, the, the S in uh, was a five just because so, it can be a number doesn't mean it needs to be a number I know. it's so brilliant that they were like <laughs> that they made fun of that within this movie it's, it's so awesome. good uh, it's so good 
but uh, it's it's him, and then it's it's Amber Freeman, mm-hmm. who's a, who's another member of the the group, mm-hmm. um, is a bit the more the reserved one, played by Mikey Madison, who I it I almost got meta in and of itself <laughs> watching this because it drove me nuts the entire movie looking at her face, and I was like, I've seen you in a movie before. I know I've seen you in a movie and I cannot place it. And it wasn't until like the climactic moment where like she gets burned and then makes one last gasp at Sydney and gets shot that I was like, Oh, you're the one who you're the Manson girl who gets torched by Leo DiCaprio and once upon a time in Hollywood, yeah, exactly. which then made me do like the once upon a time in Hollywood pointing meme at the, <laughs> the screen. And it was just like looped back. She's, she's a very, very specific typecast. The uh, most specific of typecast. Good <laughs> Lord. Like they're like, Hey Mikey, we have this role for you. She's like, I gotta be set on I fire. Get on fire don't I? <laughs> well, but it's like it it's 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 um yeah it it, it adds a it, you know it adds I feel like it really did the whole like we're doing this for a new generation while also like you know adhering to what came before it like mm-hmm. of like okay it's new cast characters and we're going to have a twist and the twist is not going to be related to our legacy characters it's going to be it's going to be something else entirely, and then mm-hmm. something else entirely is toxic fandom. Which Jack Quaid has a great line. It's like, "How can fandom be toxic? We're just we just love the thing." And I was like, "Oh, buddy, uh, <laughs> that sounds like Twitter? something that sounds like something a toxic fan would say." Uh, people were like, ha- "Hashtag release the the five cream oh, cut, <laughs> release the butthole cut." Um, <laughs> but I I loved the characterization of both uh, Mikey Madison and uh, Jack Quaid's characters. Where Mikey Madison, um, she's more reserved. Like she's not. Uh, she doesn't really take up a lot of screen time, which I think no. helps obscure her um, as a suspect. But what also obscures her as a suspect is she's almost a Randy in that she, uh, when when given an opportunity in the talk with the teenagers when they're throwing out accusations. She brings up more rather like morbid things and stuff in that conversation, which to me harken back to the the talk that they're having at the fountain, where um, Jamie Kennedy is a, uh, says like, "Was that before you sliced and diced?" Like he's he's not yes. mincing any words. He's being very graphic and gratuitous about a girl who was stabbed to death the night before. He's not pulling any punches, and so she was very much like treating it like a joke. And was very much in the know-how of, like, okay, this person probably knows the meta of movies. And that she's going to be more of a Yoda sensei type. So I immediately, like, kind of discounted her as a suspect. And then Jack Quaid's character coming from the other side of the spectrum, which I, I mean, in hindsight, should have seen coming from right. 100 miles away. Of him being like, no, I've never seen a Stab movie. And so then him watching the Stab movie in the hospital on Netflix and being like, well, I mean, I should probably you know know this stuff like while i'm here right and then he starts slowly incorporating it over the course of the movie of knowing like i shouldn't do that that's a trope right and he like him like somebody who's almost like a a, an audience surrogate who's inserting themselves into the movie and trying to figure out the rules as they go along only to then be revealed later that he has this and all this information and he's a toxic fan and all this stuff in the background yeah I didn't suspect either of them the entire time. Me neither. I didn't expect either of them. And I was just like, oh shit, I got fooled by a slasher who done it. I don't remember the last time that that has happened. No, and even in a Scream movie either. Like, it, it was very, like, 
I don't know. I feel like the 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 previous three are fairly obvious. Mm-hmm. I, I think I think the only sort of I guess thrown for a loop would be like two because there are two killers. Mm-hmm. Like you know, it's Timothy Oliphant is one of them. Like obviously, like yeah, like you you hear that guy talk and you're like yeah that yeah okay he's, he's killed people. Uh... Yeah, he's definitely the one. <laughs> Which even, like, you know, uh, Jamie, like, Randy even says, like, the freaky Tarantino film student. Mm-hmm. He's like, but I guess if that makes him a suspect, that makes me a suspect. But it's yep. like, no, 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 you're still, <laughs> it's still Timothy Oliphant. The only really thrown for a loop is the Billy Loomis's mother. But it's like the other two, it's like, okay, you can see those coming from I mean, away. even then, I, I was like, when they kept introducing, uh, and I should, uh, uh, I should know this. Because um, uh, they, two... I have a I have a big problem with two in <laughs> go off go off Chris well in their treatment of Leif Schreiber so like the whole the whole Cotton Weary thing I I think is a really good inclusion in the first one of being like we can't trust Sydney's judgment um, <laughs> because she got it wrong and like that's that's a really cool thing to introduce into a movie like this it's like a whodunit slasher where she's our lead girl but we know that she has fucked up in the past and so like that was a really smart thing that they did in the first one and then when they introduce him in the first in the second one as uh he's sort of like a glory chaser like he wants his book deals he wants to be interviewed on what was it barbara walters like he he wants to have like all the big interviews he wants to have the money and stuff i can understand that as a man who's been in prison for a year and probably had your life destroyed as you want a cash cow now like you want something as repayment for it i get it but they don't they don't pepper him throughout the movie uh, as like a stalker or a harasser of Sydney. He like no. shows up in that scene at the at the library and corners her and he's pretty forceful in like his his talks or whatever, but he like doesn't he doesn't like pin her against a wall, he doesn't get violent, he doesn't look like he's gonna go off on her. They arrest him, question him, he's suspect number one, and I was just like, I don't buy this guy's suspect number one. He didn't do anything to, to make you think that he's violent. And then, like, he disappears from the movie. We have the the, the portion in the radio room that's on a college campus. Yes. Uh, they, they go to a college campus to go watch the, the tape uh, in a lecture hall. They get chased into an audio room. Dewey gets stabbed violently. Uh, Gail runs outside and gets away. And then runs into Lee Schreiber, who's got blood all over his hands. And he's like... Uh, I I found I found Dewey and I, I tried to help him but it was too late which we know isn't true because Dewey survives um, yes. and then Gail runs away again disappears from the movie then we get the reveal of the killers and Dewey shows up again at the theater on the college campus to save the day and he has like the, the, the standoff and whatnot what is Cotton Weary doing? At, like, midnight, walking around a college campus, walking into, like, an AV room in some <laughs> random building, and then saying that he helped Dewey, and then saying it was too late, although we clearly know that he was alive, and then walking across campus to go to the theater hall and check that out and see what was going on in there. Like, he was implanted in the script to be a red herring and a deus ex machina. <laughs> at the same time and there's yeah. there's literally no motivation whatsoever for him to do anything but to do those roles and yeah. it's just it's it's that stupid plot where it's like i know you're smarter than this i've seen you yeah. do smarter things than this why did you rely on such stupid things to happen yeah i i i have a 
you're right at 100 and i have i have issues with two as well i know two two is like the most beloved after one and mm-hmm. and i i i and it's like it's not a bad movie by any stretch no. but it's just like but it makes decisions like that that it makes me question sort of like why why people love it as mm-hmm. much and i'm like i don't want to you know like what you like it's fine but it's just like I, th- that are things like that that hold me back from two what right. what makes me like two is like what we talked about sort of those aforementioned set pieces that are mm-hmm. like really well done like those are the things i like about two but one thing i'm glad you brought up because we didn't mention in the, uh, about this movie and i think the choice is brilliant and also genuinely make me made me sad at a movie like this i you know it's a, like in addition to being thrown off by a whodunit i was genuinely like sad and emotionally affected that they killed dewey in this movie yeah and and so not only does it add at stake, but it also sort of throws things into question because you already mentioned, because Dewey comes close to the biggest like fake out of dying of like the main characters throughout the series because of two, like oh, it's yeah. the only time that really happens. Right. And so it's like, I feel like he was deliberately the one chosen to be the one off almost because of that, sure. because people would like kind of spot and be like, Oh, well we've been here before. But, I mean, I guess in the way he gets off, it's really hard to sort of misconstrue that it's like, he's dead. Oh, like, yeah. He's brought, he's brought out with a toe tag. They do the whole nine of just making sure, like, no, this time we're serious. He's he's gone. Yeah. Uh, well, he gets, like, he gets the knife up to the, the like, oh, yeah. all the way up the sternum. Oh, yeah. Like, he gets gutted. He gets, the, he, he gets filleted like a fish. It's probably the only really like sort of affecting horror death in the movie and it's not even necessarily kind of like what you said i'm I'm, you know the horror aspect is not as strong but because Mm -hmm. of the emotional aspect of like oh well, we've been with this character for 26 years essentially right so it's Mm -hmm. like to have be like oh oh oh, he's dead yeah (laughs) i mean like very dead (laughs) i wouldn't say the kills in the movie aren't effective i think they are they're not scary is what I was getting at. Like, I wasn't like, oh, like, I'm really nervous and, like, oh, I got spooked or whatnot. Um, like, the, like Killing Dewey, like, broke my heart. It's just like, ah. Uh, and I love just seeing David Arquette in a movie again. It's, like, kind yeah. of flooded back of, like, being a kid and watching, you know, Scream and watching uh, Ready to Rumble um, and mm-hmm. Eight-Legged Freaks and, like, all that shit. Um, but, like, that affected me sort of emotionally. But then even... Uh, the kill I mentioned earlier with Dylan Minnette when he gets stabbed through the throat and they used a practical effect and had like the knife blade come out the back of his neck and it's yep. sort of a slow death as he's like kind of choking on his blood. Um, uh, uh, Mason Gooding uh, later on in the movie plays Chad. Um, he gets slashed. He's running away and uh, uh, Ghostface runs up to him and it's just a it's just a, a still shot of just raining blows of a knife straight into his guts and it's like I'm not scared. But I I know that that has to fucking hurt. Like it's oh, it's yeah. like it's really effectively brutal in a way that other movies like the Friday the Thirteenth series they have fun with their gore. Like people are getting hacked up by a machete or a chainsaw or uh, whatever the fuck that was in part seven with the spinny blade on the end of the the long pole. <laughs> uh, it, like it, but it's fun smashing against a tree in a sleeping bag. Like ha! Ah, like the audience cheers and laughs. Halloween 
I, I would say like the the newer Halloweens, the 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 latest ones. Uh, the David Gordon Green ones. David Gordon Green. I was thinking Paul Greengrass yeah. or some uh, mixing up my <laughs> greens. Um, <laughs> Just shaky cam Halloween. <laughs> oh shit! No, I was thinking I was mixing up my greens, but um, th- they're incredibly brutal. Or the zombie yeah. uh, Halloweens, really brutal mm-hmm. of just uh, just fucking knives and stuff. But I-, I think throughout the series, the Scream movies have been like that, where like when someone's getting stabbed, it's not really hyper stylized. It's just a big ass knife going into somebody repeatedly, and. Mm-hmm you still get get that like really effective like squeamishness and so it really comes down to the the stuff that happens in between those knife blows where i think one uh two uh as well um i, I really don't like three at all um and the fourth <laughs> one have some effective stuff that happen in between that get your nerves up enough to start to, to start a scare or get a scare going before the raining blows come in and i think <laughs> that's where this one kind of drops it more surprises you with the violence. I yeah, I think that's fair. And I, but I I'll take that trade off again. I'll take that trade off mm-hmm. for the you know for a successful who done it and a successful new cast of characters yep. that are uh, like authentic. And yes. I I will take I will take that. It's a fair, it's a give and take. But I'll take it. Mm-hmm. I guess what. And I think story wise as well. I was very yeah. I was very surprised and and pleased with how they incorporated the Lego sequel stuff of mm-hmm. the the new characters they go over to uh, like you said the the niece and nephew's house of Randy so then we be like oh I remember Randy they watch his movies or whatever and they have a discussion about like what is a Lego sequel that discussion was really great and harkening back to the first one the mm-hmm. uh, the scene where they uh, they get uh, 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 and I'm, I'm forgetting the character's name now. Um, uh, oh, uh, Tara. They get Tara out of the hospital. And yep. she's like, oh, I don't have my inhaler. We need to get an inhaler or I'll have an attack. I have one at my friend's house. Uh, we need to go out there. The friend's house happens to be Stu's house. Um, mm-hmm. And also, like, the fact that as they were pulling up to the house, we didn't get, like, a helicopter shot or a long crane or something to be like, oh, shit, it's Stu's house. The fact that, like... We go to a high school party and we cut to inside the house. People are mingling. There's a staircase. The camera's <laughs> moving around the party and showing people. And if you're familiar with the layout of the house because you've seen the first movie, of like at some point your brain starts to go, isn't that the living room where they were watching Halloween? And then the camera will turn around. They're like in the foyer part. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's definitely the, the staircase uh, yep. that, that Billy like came falling down. And, and that, there's the closet that Nev Campbell hid in. And stabbed him with the umbrella. Like they, you start to piece it together before there's the actual reveal that yep, they're at the house. Because they've refurnished it, but it's like just enough to where mm-hmm. you're like, this looks familiar. Like, hmm. Yeah, I can't and quite it, put my finger on it. Yeah. Well, and it's perfect too because like none of these kids would know that. I mean, other than the ones who end up being her killers. But outside of that, no one would end up really knowing that. So it, of course, it comes to where um sydney and gail are like en route and they get the address and then they realize like oh shit that's Stu's house like <laughs> which i mean like you would you would think that the other characters would know i mean like this the stab movies are based off of the woodsboro murders especially mindy who's the 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 one who's like the new randy essentially right. the randy in terms of like the film knowledge like she's the one who gives the sort of like what's a lego sequel and she's the one who gets stoned and is watching stab one and then there's like the parallel of like 
the the like actor randy with ghost face behind it yeah the actual ghost face is 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 stalking her behind the couch and she's like look turn around yeah, doing turn around yeah doing the whole thing and um so it's like you would think she would know out of anybody probably yeah. that like but i guess not or or that yeah, i don't know that you're right i think that's a little There's bit of some a, of the meta elements that i think go a little bit too far sometimes and i i think exactly. that's that's more my opinion of the meta elements of the scream series overall where i think yes because they have to keep coming over the top right exactly. that's, that's the problem it's eventually you're like what the fuck are we doing yeah, here <laughs> exactly but i think the fact that this one had its work cut out for it in terms of its meta aspect but where it succeeds i mean where it it, it actually surprisingly succeeds in those aspects but then also makes the other aspects work as well and mm-hmm. not just like an excuse to be meta which i felt like scream 4 was that of sort of like yeah i don't yeah it, it, i agree it, it felt like west didn't really want to make it it was almost like he had had i don't think a string of flops because like red eye red eye was well received red eye is a good movie but then like my soul to take like was like hacked by the studio and it bombed horribly and so i think there was that and I don't think even Williamson needed... I think Vampire Diaries was on at this time, which Williamson was the showrunner on, so it's not like he needed the, the money to no. do it. So it was just like... I, I don't know. I don't know what the choice was to do a fourth one, but at that time... Um, but, like, I feel like, ultimately, it's like, this is this is sort of the redo. This is what 4 wanted to do, and I don't right. think it worked super well. And this one does it yeah. very, very well. Oh, yeah, super well. And I, I think the screen movies as evidenced by the series uh, wasn't really cut out for uh sequels uh, ironically um yeah. it's getting a legacy sequel be because i the, the series is beloved and it's done well um i i f- that's why i think the first one and, and this this new one are the best in the series i it it needed that sort of framework uh yeah i i don't know exactly how to explain it but i the it just got too off the rails in the sequels for me. And I think the first one um, doing that soft reboot, adhering to it, but then getting the balance of the characters correct and Mm -hmm. there being a love and reverence done in the filmmaking to the series and to horror as a whole, which the first one did so well as as well. um, I I think it's kind of just hit on all of those right cylinders that you needed. I would agree. I, I, I think so. I think the problem, I mean, it's almost like, again, what we've sort of talked about from the beginning. If, if you want to bring it to Halloween 2018, the, the first David Gordon Green one, mm-hmm. um, which I think we both liked. I mean, you can go back and listen to our episode where we talked about the Halloween series and, and Halloween Kills mm-hmm. uh, for more evidence of that. But it's like, it, it's sort of like, you know, the Halloween sequels are largely crummy. Like, yeah. they, they just are, right? And so it's like, the Scream sequels aren't but they still fall into those same traps of like the killer isn't as scary as it was. And audience gets like, you know, understanding the tropes, like, you know, and so it's like, even if you're pointing it out, you still fall victim to it and Mm -hmm. scream 2022, uh, like benefits because it, it takes that sort of like a sequel template, even from something like, I guess, you know, we kind of briefly mentioned, but like Halloween 2018, which too is a like a sequel in and of itself where it takes that sort of element and it does something with the characters at an older age and it does something that's poignant with the old characters while introducing new characters like Judy Greer and forgive me, I forget the actress who plays her daughter, but she's really good in those two Halloween David Gordon Green movies. So Mm -hmm. it's like it was able to do that and it, like you said, it needed that framework. Like it needed that time. And I think that Scream 4, I'm not saying Scream 4 didn't come at 
I'm not saying it came at the wrong time. Like it was 11 years after Scream 3. It was probably the time to do it, but mm. it just, I just feel like it sort of fumbled. So it's like you could almost, other than some elements that carry over from 4 into this one, it's like you could almost disregard it in a way, right? Yeah. You could just well, almost disregard it. Well, some of the elements of the fourth one felt almost like an obligation, which, I mean, I, I know we've already harped on it and, and mentioned that it felt kind of like um, Wes Craven didn't want to make the movie. Uh, but then, like, th- they're, th- the entire new cast feels like they were like, oh, yeah, sure, like, we need a new cast, so get them in there. But really, Wes mm-hmm. wants to make another movie that is with the, the other characters that he knows and right. wants to work with and be in that play world. Um, so I, I think you're you're right in saying, you know, R.I.P. Wes, love the man, love his, his work. Uh, but it, it needed somebody else to come in and, and take a stab at it. Um, <laughs> no pun intended. And, yeah. <laughs> to, to show reverence to the things that we all show reverence to. Uh, it, it, it's also, you know, kind of ironic that the, um, the villains of the movie are, you know, toxic fandom, whereas this is the first movie of the series that's being directed by somebody who's not Wes Craven and most likely fans of the series who are coming oh i think they're fans as as evident by the structure and the tone and oh yeah i was like these these are people who studied the first one and and, i mean to to to, yeah uh, to points where i i think it may have been a detriment like there there are parts about the movie that i don't like I, i don't like the um when they go to the hospital uh, after uh, the the young sister is stabbed, and then um, the older sister Sam uh, takes the call in like the break room, right. and then she gets attacked by a guy in a ghost face suit, and they get in a fight in the mess hall, and then he like takes off out the door, and like no one happened to see him. It's just like you're in a fucking hospital. Like I, yeah. I know I know that this is the first act beat where the murderer attacks the main character like that's mm-hmm. they've done it in scream one and two like that you have to adhere yep. to the formula much so, like, like they're at rose mcgowan's house and but they know sydney's there and, yep yeah yeah exactly so like you you have to have it in the movie because it's how they did it in the other ones but then by shoehorning it in and putting it in that set piece it was like that's beyond a a you know a, a suspension of disbelief to to think you can go in attack a person with a knife in a in a hospital and then take yep. off and they're like what you were just attacked and no one was in the break room no one was in the hallway no like oh yeah there's people fucking everywhere it's a hospital <laughs> it's not perfect you know it, it still has the same tropes that right. it's trying to make fun of but i i feel like it does it in unique and fresh ways and and like i said even though his writing can frustrate from time to time credit where credit's due he did start this whole thing the first one is sharp kevin williamson is an ep on the movie so mm. he was at least involved but it felt like he sort of like it was more like a, i give you my blessing sure do your sign thing. off on it kind of thing yeah, yeah exactly and i feel like it was right it was like the right involvement for him his new blood got to take it they 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 you know, they they uh definitely give their kudos to to wes craven both within the movie and the end of the movie i i did think i mean I, I, I would be upset to think of anybody who's like a fan of these movies or likes these movies or, uh, you know, but I think of like, I think of like the, like the 12, 13 year old who's going out like with friends on a Friday night to see the new screen movie who don't know who Wes Craven is. And so they have the character of Wes and then that party is like enthroned in his honor. Like there's mm-hmm. the big banner that says for Wes 
within the movie and it's like we know like nudge nudge wink wink they're they're tipping their hat to Wes craven right and then in the end the, you know before the credits start it says for wes in in like the scream fought so i just imagine the like 13 year old who's like wait a minute did they just do a stinger for like the, that, that character, character who died <laughs> <laughs> but i mean i would i would hope that they would know but who knows but yeah, yeah i feel like there's a lot of loving Wes craven tribute uh it, it, throughout the movie and then towards the end so, yeah that's uh, they do it well yeah, there should be. Why? Not? I mean, he's he started this whole thing, so right. uh, even further back than Scream, you know. So it's like, how how can you not tip oh, yeah. that to the man? Yeah, so. Scream, Scream, and a, a fuck ton of other movies wouldn't exist if it wasn't for Wes Craven. So exactly. Um, well, it sounds like we're we're wrapping up. Um, you know, they, they're sort of arbitrary, but do you, do you have a series ranking before we we tease our next episode <sighs> and wrap this up? It's yeah, and I know that we didn't get to get into to much of the other movies in the series, uh, especially three, since there's not much to talk about. But it, if I if I were to give a ranking, it would be uh, one five, uh, two four three. Nice. I I'm almost the same. Um, I would say one five two three four would okay. be mine. Um, okay. Which uh, uh, three? I I totally get your your sentiment there. I I think three is, I I think it's still fun. I don't think three is at like, like, I don't know. I don't think three deserves the crap that it gets for like. And again, I I mentioned it. I think Parker Posey is pretty much the one who saves the movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I I, I do Warburton. sort. Of, Oh, Patrick Warburton is great. I was yeah. so sad when he bites it in the movie. I, know. I was like, no, we need more Patrick Warburton. Except that they uh, had him say, like, the most asshole thing right before he died. Like, to, I, I feel like Patrick Warburton <laughs> is so lovable that they yeah. had to, like, well, we have to kill Patrick Warburton. But there's only, like, you have to say him, have him say, like, the meanest fucking thing that we can imagine him saying in order to, like, cause his death. Or, or like, deserve his death in the movie. They could have just said he was a face painter. <laughs> <laughs> he's a, he's a, he's a, they stole his Jesus fish. Yeah. You have a letter on. Yeah, I didn't face paint. Yeah, but that's not any better. Uh, <laughs> but um, no, I and and four. I'm I'm sort of I'm I'm about four the way you feel about three. Where it's like when I first saw four in 2011, I haven't seen it since. For years, I was like, "Yeah, four is the best Scream sequel." Mm. And then I rewatched it. And I was like, "No, oh boy, it is, it is, it is." There's some good stuff. Like I said, yeah. I like the opening of it. Uh, I like the opening. I like the Emma Roberts uh, sort of reveal in that. Um, but uh, it's pretty rough otherwise, uh, personally. Yeah. And like you said, pretty mean spirited. And um, but yeah, I think this one definitely is a, a definitely big ups from from four in terms of doing similar things but doing it better well and the biggest sin of four is that if you're, if you're going to get a roberts why, why would you you know not get set, eric settle roberts? for the rest <laughs> and not go for the best which is eric roberts uh though you know i know we we, we spent he could be the voice on the phone because then he doesn't have to come to set you know, we spent plenty of time dunking on him for Karate Christmas Miracle, rightfully so. But have you watched the recent season of The Righteous Gemstones so far? Not. He is so good. Okay, he's fantastic. So uh, credit where credits due. He's he's back in his fully committed scumbaggery uh, okay. uh, ways. He's super good in it. But uh, anyway, I think that's a good spot to start <laughs> to wrap this episode up. Sure. Um, as you pointed out off mic last week, we've talked about a lot of horror recently, so mm-hmm. we're going to spend 
probably a month or more uh, uh, kind of pivoting away from it. But we'll try. We're gonna try. But in this, but in regards to this episode, particularly, we're not gonna pivot too far because we're gonna be talking about a similar theme. But I will roll out the red carpet for you to say what we're gonna be talking about next week. Yeah, uh, we're going to continue on the Lake sequel train, but we're going to pivot over to action. Uh, still plenty of blood, but just in a different context. Well, one of them. One of them has a lot of blood. <laughs> one of them has a lot of blood. <laughs> a lot of blood. Uh, uh, two of them, one of them's moderate, and one of them not really. Um, but <laughs> I look forward to discussing those movies with you next week. But in the meantime, you can find all of our episodes on our website at thegoodbadwhat.com. You can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Anchor.fm, Google Podcasts, and many others. You can follow us on Twitter and Instagram at thegoodbadwhat. And you can email us at thegoodthebadthewhat at gmail.com. If you're feeling generous and want to support the show, we have a donations tab on our website, and all donations will go back into the show, whether that's to offset the cost of any movies we discuss or upgrading our equipment. Our logo comes from Michelle Parkos, and our theme music comes from Paco, whose portfolio and SoundCloud link you can find in the show notes, respectively. Chris, where can more people follow you online? Yeah, you can follow me online on Twitter at thochristo89 or on Letterbox at c underscore thom. And you can follow me on Twitter at Riley90, that's R-Y-O-L-L-I-E 90, or on Letterboxd at Ryan underscore Oliver. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with Action Legacy Sequels. I'll be right back! Oh!